Hey friends, welcome to the very first episode of the Beautiful Tension Podcast. My name is Gary and I'm stoked you're tuning in today. As I speak, I'm sitting in bed, still recording with my iPhone, and I'm still using a blanket. Truthfully, it really helps with the sound quality. <laughs> if you listen to the trailer, you'll know what I'm talking about. This podcast, Beautiful Tension, is a place where we aren't afraid to talk about hard things, yet we also want to acknowledge the beauty that comes from those very things. Joining us today for our premiere episode is a very special guest and good friend of mine named Darren McKenna. Darren is an out queer pastor and Enneagram coach living in LA. Once upon a time, he was a closeted pastor living in Atlanta, Georgia, wrestling with faith, sexuality, and his place in the church. Though he wouldn't do it over again, beauty came out of those tensions, and he wouldn't trade them for anything. I'm incredibly excited for this episode, and I know you'll enjoy it. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Darren, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, of course. Excited to chat with you. I When I was thinking about people that... I thought would be great for this, talking about hard things, but things that are also really great. You were one of the first people I thought of, so it's good to have you. Yeah, thanks, Gary. And I know we share a lot of similarities in our story on the things that we've experienced that were hard and a lot of parallels and a lot of differences and unique pieces. So I'm excited to talk about it a little bit more. Me too. So some of our listeners may not know who you are. Um, so it's a broad question, but however you want to answer it, who are you? Who is Darren? Well, I am. It's a great question. Well, currently I am a pastor and a church planter. Um, I planted a church, New Abbey, North Hollywood, uh, which is an offshoot of the New Abbey in Pasadena. And I live in North Hollywood. Uh, and until the pandemic happened, church met in my backyard. It was a really fun community. But I am originally from the South. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. I was born and raised there, uh, just outside in a small town called Wilburn. Um, and then I lived in Atlanta for 10 years uh, between my undergrad and the first church that I worked at as a pastor before moving out to Pasadena. And since moving to Pasadena, I've gotten into quite a bit of things, I have a slew of jobs, do some writing, do some coaching, uh, specifically with the Enneagram. Uh, teaching on that as well, and pastoring are kind of my main gigs. And I guess that's kind of who makes me me, right? I don't know. Do you add anything? Uh, all around awesome guy. <laughs> uh, okay, and all around awesome guy. You already no, here first, folks. You put it really well. Um, it's so interesting, the intersection of our stories, like you were saying, and even how we met was kind of random when you care to Tell that story briefly. Yeah, it's it's wild. Um, I guess I I guess part of who I am is a bisexual male, uh, cisgender male, um, and part of the reason why. And this is my larger story. So I'll leave some of this behind, uh, or until we return to it later. But I was moving out to LA, and when I was moving out to LA, I knew that. From the time I moved to LA, I was never going to be in the closet in any way, shape, or form uh, in my kind of new life, right? Um, I was out, and we'll talk a little bit about all those nuances, a little bit in Atlanta. It wasn't a complete, just like new coming out, new life. But um, so I joined a Facebook group called, now called Compass LA, 
that was for queer Christians in the LA area. And yeah, so I guess you were part, how did you get to be a part of the group? That's a great question. Compass, (laughs) I couldn't fully tell you. I feel like, so I went to university in LA and that's where a lot of my connections lie. And then when I came out, I got connected to the broader network of people that lived in LA that were part of an organization that's now called Q Christian Christian Fellowship. So through those connections, I knew people, they added me to Compass. And even though I have not lived in LA since I came out, I'm still in that group and I love it. It's great. So here I am in this new to the city in this uh, Facebook group for queer Christians, really niche. They're starting a book study or a book club on the book Bible Gender Sexuality by uh, Dr. James Brownson. And I see a post in there. I've been in L.A. all of what, like three or four days at this point. So literally no two people, the person I my roommate and one other person I met through this group. And I see this this rando named Gary post in there. Hi, is anyone coming from the Pasadena area? I love to come. And I was like, well, I am, and I need friends. And lo and behold, Gary gets in my car. Uh, Never met him before in my life. Could have killed me, for all I know. And we begin our long, trafficy drive uh, there and do a book club and drive back. And just, we hit it off. Um, And we hung out the next couple days because you were just on, like, uh, vacation, right? You're there for a wedding in L.A.? Yeah, I was there on vacation yeah. for a week or so. Yeah, so he, you were just in town, and it's not where you lived and hanging out, and I literally just moved there, so we hung out. And then we just literally began a long-distance friendship. We've never lived in the same city, and this has been almost three years now. That's insane to me. Mm-hmm. What What stands out to me as you recap your story and also how we met is that back in 2017 when we met, We were both in this major transition in our lives in our own ways where locations were changing, had recent realizations about who we are. So we talk about beautiful tensions here, and I think that's a great segue into more of your story. Um, Coming out's not easy. Um, I've been through it. You've been through it. And I think it's safe to say that that tension going going through that and the beauty and, and the hardship that that all brings has greatly shaped you in a lot of ways. So would you care to share more of that story and, and what that's been like for you? Yeah. Um, so the, I, you know, as I was thinking about this, when you kind of sent me the questions, I was thinking specifically about the last year before I moved out to LA. And so it was a little bit of a in-between space of me having come into my sexuality and recognizing that it was an integral part of me loved by God, loved by others, loved by myself, all of this, and that I wanted to work that out in my life. But I was unable to kind of actualize that for a little while, um, given my circumstances. So tell a bit of that story is uh, I worked at a church for what ended up being five years, but around uh, four years into working there, essentially I'd been on this journey theologically and just personal about what is my sexuality? What does the Bible say about that? And what does God say about that? What do I want for my life? All of these questions. Well, when it comes down to it, about four years into pastoring this church, I kind of landed in a position or an understanding, I would say, not really a position. It's just, this is what it is. God 
affirms and loves all sexualities and all people. And uh, I just recognized that that meant something for my life and I wanted to change. So uh, I found out pretty quickly that I had about a year left at this church. And this was a, a big pain point because I started to tell people slowly that my uh, kind of thoughts have evolved and my understanding of myself had evolved. Uh, and quickly found out that I was not going to be welcome at this church had I moved much faster, right? So I knew I had about a year left at this church. And honestly, that when I, the conversation where I found out I had to leave was one of the most painful conversations in my life. I had kind of become a part of this church uh, about, at that point, nine years beforehand as a student at uh, college. And to to realize that I was no longer welcome and no longer a part of this church that I both went to and then pastored at for a few years, uh, it was really painful. My whole life was kind of built around this church, right? Uh, my social life, my economics, my like geographical location, like you name it, I had kind of built my life to to kind of serve the service of this church, and so it kind of left me in a weird position of figuring out what was next and the weird existential questions of in the future, will I have a future in the church at all, uh, given my sexuality and kind of the minor the minority position in the church uh, that, that we have right now. Uh, luckily, it's changing and evolving and progressing. We're in a very different spot than we were even three years ago. But um, so I lived basically as a pastor who is queer and affirming of my own and other sexualities, but working in a non-affirming context, uh, which means that my church didn't believe that any sort of same-sex or queer relationships were sanctioned by God or Bible. Um, and I had a, I disagreed with that uh, very clearly. But because of my economics and because of my timeline and uh, everything, I couldn't really leave my church like immediately. I couldn't really just kind of drop everything and go. And so I basically worked myself into a plan of moving to Pasadena to pursue a master's in theology. But that still left me another year at this church in the space of me being in one position, the church being in another position, and me having to be careful in order to kind of maintain uh, my economics, my social life, all of these things, and for my own health and safety, right? So that was a really hard year. And that year was kind of, just the outline of the year looked, at, looked like me progressing forward in my own understanding of myself and coming to terms with my own sexuality and sharing that with others slowly and working out what that means. I went on only a couple of dates because I didn't want to push the envelope too much and uh, at this church and figuring out what my what I wanted my life to look like on the other side. Um, and it was a deeply painful place. And I think one of the things that I just recognized is that we're about to talk through some really beautiful things that happened in that year. Uh, and things that could only happen because of that situation. And I was thinking it's important to recognize that I wouldn't do this again, right? I wouldn't experience this pain. I wouldn't make the same decision now. If I was faced with the same circumstances, I would probably make a different decision based on what I know my needs and circumstances are. But at the time, it was what I had. And it was hard and it was painful. And I really want to honor those hard and painful places for what they are and not like pretend 
that these other beautiful things kind of lessen the pain. That's not true. But I also don't want the fact that there was pain to overshadow any sense that there was beauty uh, in that time. And I got to see some pretty incredible things happen in that year in my life and in the life of others. And right, I just don't think the pain should overshadow the beauty and the beauty shouldn't overshadow the pain. And I want us to sit there. And I think that's what this podcast is about. Um, I do, I just felt like it was important to say, like, I wouldn't do this again. This was really hard and painful, but I really do want to pull out some of the gems of that experience and like, just look at them a little bit and appreciate, um, kind of what was possible in that time. I'm really glad that you highlighted that because certainly my, something I've thought about as I've launched this podcast is I would not, I don't think either of us want anyone to feel like we're saying, bad things, awful things are great because they can be good. Or I think in our circles growing up church, what we were told a lot is that these things bring God glory and it almost minimizes, it can minimize pain and hurt and grief. And so we certainly certainly need to be very careful about saying, oh, this whole, this thing was fine that happened because look at what it brought about. It's like, no, that thing was still awful, mm -hmm. but they both belong. And that's the tension yeah. that we talk about. So yeah. I'm really glad you made that point. Yeah, that's it's, it's important to me, especially for a lot of queer people who find themselves in uh, churches right now that are uh, not affirming of their lives. And I think it's important for me to like be honest, like the way that I kind of handled it four years ago would not be the same way I do that now. And I don't want to prescribe that kind of life for anybody that this is the only way. Um, I, I think there could be other ways, um, but we get to, you know, I don't get to relive that past. I do get to look at it and reflect on it and learn how to love it and learn, learn from it. So that's great. Yeah. I do want to hear more about what it's looked like to integrate your life because you were, you came out and you started integrating a bit in Atlanta, but then you kind of moved. So it's kind of been this closeted life in Atlanta and out life in Los Angeles. What does it look like to integrate those worlds as you've been out now for the last few years? God. Um, and for me, honestly, life integration started that last year in Atlanta because what I recognized is I didn't want to leave Atlanta without a good portion of my close friends, if not all of my close friends, uh, kind of me being out to them and them knowing a little bit about my journey. And so that it had to start there because I wanted as many of those conversations to happen in person. Um, and part of that also looked like, you know, slowly over trips home over the next year or two as I got to see more people and um, I, I would like wait to tell them even though like I could have like called them or whatever and come out to them or whatever it is but I really wanted to talk to some people in person um, just because I felt like they deserved that honor and I also just realized that it's just it's kind of shitty sometimes that the timelines don't work out where um, we can be in the same place at the same time and I really want to make those times meaningful, right? Um, so I, so that was kind of the Atlanta piece. But then again, when I moved to LA, I just knew that I was going to be out and uh, queer and comfortable with myself and 
Um, so for me, that looked like doing a lot of just self-work and understanding queerness and understanding. Um, for me, it was important to do theology around queerness and theology around sexuality. Um, but beyond that, just understanding the queer experience uh, from secular and non-religious or non-Christian sources and recognizing the similarities, the commonalities that we all share as a community. But that integration took years. And for me, I kind of feel like that culmination, I spent about two years uh, coming out to people, as many as I could in person uh, in Atlanta and talking to some on the phone, coming out to some family and things like that. And about two years later uh, is when I came out on social media. And for me, that was just like a marker. Like most people knew anyone I really like, you was had any sense of strong relationship, I think already knew that was kind of the goal that was important to me. Uh, but that was more just a marker of, hey, now I'm who I am in all of my spaces, right? It's I've been slowly trying to catch some of my Atlanta friends up uh, to kind of the life I have now in Pasadena uh, over the last two years. But now I just want to make sure that everything is just kind of out there. Uh, so I don't ever have to question who am I supposed to bring into the room with me, right? All of myself or just some of myself? And I wanted that answer to be all of myself all of the time. And that's, yeah, that's kind of how that worked. Thanks so much for sharing. Your your story is a is a wild one and not in the it's been awesome to to know you these last few years and to think of where you were and everything that's brought you to this point and now speaking to a lot of the beauty you've touched on it a bit already but the things that have come out of this hardship of coming out having this whole world you knew that your whole life was staked on losing that in a way to pursue integration um mm -hmm. but what does that beauty look like now and moving forward would you mind sharing yeah. more about that yeah um i actually I, a couple stories were sticking out from like in the hard moment that i think is important to recognize um or i, I at least want to highlight for everybody is that some of the things I got to do were pastor queer people in a non-affirming context for a year, which was a very unique space to be in. Uh, and I wasn't always comfortable like that. The start of that year, I was very uncomfortable, you know, kind of risking it. But as the year went on and I knew I was leaving, I maybe was a little bit more bold. And, um, and even as I came into knowing how much that I believe that God loves me, I was able to that much more forcefully uh, share that with people. Uh, so that last year was interesting because I ended up having a slew of students. I was a college pastor uh, come out to me. It was a wild number of queer students. And I think it just word got around that like, maybe I would like kind of accept people, you know, and they're like, oh, there's a safe pastor. I want to talk because I don't get to talk about this with the pastor. And I'm sure some of them kind of suspected that I might be queer myself. And I've heard all the stories of I was completely surprised or we've just been waiting. You know, like uh, I've heard the full spectrum of them. So it just depends on where you interacted with me from. Um, but I just remember one time it was probably one of the most when I think of like a very beautiful and difficult moment, it was 
uh, probably, you know, a couple months before I moved. I had a student that I had known for three, three or four years now. So like some, some level of relationship and or depth of relationship. And he asked me to have coffee with him. He's honestly one of the most faithful people to our churches, um, just like served in a lot of capacities and was very involved and very sweet. Everybody loved this, this person. And he asked me to have coffee with him and basically over that coffee came out to me and said he just realized, um, you know, he's in his 20s, I think, at this point, And he just realized that he was gay um, for the first time. And, you know, just immediately started telling me he's like, I know I kind of have a plan to pass off my ser- service and leadership duties to someone else because I know that this isn't a place for me. Um and I just got to tell him the first time he had ever come out to a pastor and one of the first people he's ever come out to ever, um, just very, very quickly that God loves him and that it's fine and that some of, there are going to be people who say otherwise, but that's just not true. And to be in that kind of like very vulnerable space um, and he just, he just cried uh, a lot. And, um, I cried, we embraced all that, you know, kind of movie moment, but just realizing how much energy is put into one of those kind of risky coming out moments. Like I'm his pastor. I could have done any number of things in that moment. Um, but to not only affirm, but to celebrate him and his queerness in that moment did so much. Um, and honestly, so like, I look back at that now as I just, there's very few contexts I would have that kind of experience with the depth of relationship and length of relationship in kind of a uh, unsafe zone being a safe person for him. And that's just so freaking beautiful to me. But to be honest, like immediately after that, I like, burst into tears after he left and call friends. I was like, I just am, I'm so tired. I'm so tired of this. I'm so angry. I'm so all of, I had all of the negative emotions after it, um, which makes sense kind of given the depth of the emotional moment. Those moments were really beautiful and they kind of stick out. And I have a handful of those other people who came out at that time and helped them kind of move on and make the plan to like integrate their lives with them. And, that was really beautiful. But I mean, since then, I guess the biggest like kind of beautiful thing that's come out of this is I, you know, did some healing from church world for a little bit. And, uh, but now I, I've started a church (laughs) and, uh, what's crazy is that I'm trying to create a space very mindful of the ways that the church was very painful and difficult and harmful to me. Um, and because of that experience, what I'm recognizing now is I have a very different approach to how I handle conflict within the church, how I lead other leaders within the church, the kind of space that I create for my congregants and the people who are just part of the community. Like it's got to be extremely safe for that vulnerable self-disclosure and also has to be extremely practical for helping people get from A to B, right? It's getting in the weeds with them sometimes about their life and helping them figure out. Um, Because I I saw so many times just pastors give platitudes of like, gosh, something will work out for them. And and 
yes, there is boundaries and I'm acknowledging all of those things, but some of the pastor's job is to like help work them through that a little bit, right? Pastor their whole life, not just pretending that you're their spiritual conduit um, and just paying attention to their whole life because everything is spiritual. So that that's a, uh, I think that's one beautiful thing that sticks out of this. I don't think I would um, be leading a church if I didn't feel like there is a way uh, or there is an important reason for healing churches to exist. And I experienced the lack of that in my life for at least a little bit of time. What really stands out to me hearing all of that is that you could have left in all these scenarios with the student that came out to you in Atlanta. I mean, you could have started realizing you're queer left Atlanta immediately and you wouldn't have had that moment with him or Mm -hmm. even feelings around the church and feeling like you wouldn't be fully embraced there. You could have left the church and you wouldn't be here right now. But by leaning into that tension, you are pressing into really hard things, but you're seeing so much beauty come out of it. So with that student, they got to have a beautiful and I would say healing moment where their pastor fully embraced them when they came out. That's incredible because like you said, that doesn't always happen and you could not have responded that way or with the church. A lot of queer people leave the church because they feel or they leave ministry because they don't feel like they can be fully accepted. And Mm -hmm. I have to pause there and say there is nothing wrong with that. I understand where people are coming from. And if that is what they need to do to heal and be healthy and whole, that is okay. But with that, that being true. What's also true is that you've leaned into these hard areas. And I also feel this connection with us where we're queer. And I think that maybe launched us into this space of being familiar with tension and maybe better equipped us to lean into the gray areas of life. Mm -hmm. So it may not be specific around queerness or sexuality, but if we're having doubts about God or we could talk politics or whatever it may be in that space, that gray area and that tension, I think being queer has made us realize, Oh, the world life is not a binary. It's not a black and white platitudes don't really hold up in all times and spaces. And it's beautiful to think of how being queer kind of enables or equips you to better lean into tension and the gray areas of life. Yeah. And that resonates with me, even as someone who identifies as bi and kind of my journey there. Because, again, we could, uh, here's the thing, is we could be queer and not actually still lean into that tension, too. I think we have access to it through our queerness. I think it's this is one of the many ways queerness is a gift, is it gives us the ability to recognize the gray and in the in-between. Um, but so many people still like to live in the black and white and the binary, right? And... I just grew up with that mentality of it's like, oh, yeah, girls are boys. You like one or the other. And, you know, for me, there is like moral judgment attached uh, to it. But that's not necessarily that's not true at all. Um, but for me, I also recognize that I'm having real experiences of attractions towards both. And whether or not uh, it's in equal measure or for the same reasons or in the same ways, uh, it doesn't diminish the fact that I still experience both. And my 
coming into terms with my bisexuality because I identified as gay before I identified as bisexual. And I just had to look back at my experience and be like, this has never been true. I just feel like I have to choose one. Right. And so my, honestly, my journey in bisexuality probably has been one of the more formative things that's developed a sense of uh, kind of non-duality uh, that there, there is a lot of gray. There's a lot of middle ground where, we're not talking in this or that, but we're talking in a realm of things, right? And I'm very grateful for my queerness and my sexuality for that because it's helped me see that's just so true for so many parts of life. When I want to say it's this or this, there's always another way. And, and sometimes that means like, you know, and I think in political and social movements, I think, it, and even religious movements, sometimes it actually means like choosing a side, like that's not a problem, but maybe to recognize that the side isn't the, the place where you win either long-term, there's more. Uh, that's where you, maybe you go for a season, but maybe you should be pushing in a different direction as well another season. I want to highlight bias and how a lot of the world is in this binary with sexuality of whoever you are, maybe you think people are either gay or straight, but in reality, there's this whole spectrum in between. Mm-hmm. And so for, for people who, who want to, to, to do better to the queer community within that broader spectrum, like as a, as a bi man, is there anything you would say or maybe pieces of advice? How, how can people of all sexualities better support those who aren't in that binary of sexuality. Yeah, and I'm thinking of, so when I say bi, I'm recognizing languages evolving around bisexuality and with pansexuality. For me, when I say bi, I'm referring to what they call the big bi umbrella, uh, which for me is sounding closer to pansexuality uh, in that it's just recognizing that there's a whole spectrum of attraction, right? And being okay with that. And I think, uh, it's important for people to, I guess one of the main things is just to believe what people say about their sexuality. Um, what I'm recognizing is that so, so many times judgments or prejudgments or biases come from kind of assuming a binary and then seeing someone outside of that binary and then judging the distance between them and your boxes, Right. And like, oh, they don't fit in either of these boxes. So as far away they, as they are from those boxes is as much as I'm going to judge them for that, or I'm going to have some sort of bias against them. And so to believe people, I think that's a really huge thing. Uh, and I think we've got to learn how to do that. And that includes for people who like may be closeted. Like for me, it was actually really important for me to still identify as straight in that time uh, publicly in this time that I was at my church. Um, and I really appreciated when people, even who knew, knew differently, allowed me to self-identify and allowed me to say that because again, being queer is, it means a lot more than just identity. It's a kind of a social position, right? And they were honoring the social position I was in. So believing people was really important, but also not expecting people to fully understand or to have a fully comprehended understanding of their sexuality uh, when they're working it out. Like for me, it was 
really hard because I wasn't understanding how my sexuality was working and I would find people I was attracted to and that's just what it was and when people were asking me about they're like but are you really you're really bi like you've only dated guys the last couple of years and so there is a bit of the belief but like I also have discovered attractions for women that have continued my entire life right and um, I don't understand why I don't understand why either way right I don't understand the way that I'm oriented sex- sexually. And I think that's okay. But I don't have an answer for why I have a preference uh, in a moment or in a few years or something like that over another. Um, being okay with the unknown and believing people, I think would do quite a bit for people who don't fall neatly on either side of the spectrum. And, you know, the best research we have is says that a lot more people are in that middle ground than we would expect. And um, I think that would help a lot of those people come to terms with uh, the way that they're sexual, they don't understand their sexuality as well, right? And they maybe get surprised one day by something. And I think we just want to be able to create more and more space for more and more people with more and more experiences. I wanted to touch on resilience as well, because I think it's, incredibly important. I think sometimes we may not be able to articulate what's helped us be resilient going through hard things and leaning into into these tensions of life, be it coming out for you, uh, bisexuality, which you use broadly, but what does it look like to be resilient through your entire journey? Resilience has had a lot to do with me taking every part of my life very seriously. And so things like my relationships, I was very serious about making sure before I came out that I had the right safe relationships. So even when I was in Atlanta, you know, I had first few people that I found that were safe and I built into those relationships until I felt I had the social safety net to come out to more people. And then to come out to more people where I knew that my needs, my fears, my sadness, my anger, my joy would be shared with somebody, right? Um, So making sure that I was growing and evolving my social life along this journey was really important. But that's also includes for like my home, right? I made sure I had a home I wanted to live in. That's always been really, really important to me. And uh a space that felt like my own, a space that would uh, kind of hold me, right? That has the things that I need. And that was really important. So like when I moved to LA, I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money, just left the church job to start a master's degree. So, you know, taking out loans and didn't have a job for the first few months I was in LA. That, I, I mean, I spent money on like a bedroom set and a mattress and like things, you know, Ikea grades, nothing crazy. It's being very conscious of it, but like making sure I had the things that would make it actually feel like home was, those were so important for me to feel like that it was a space that I could grow. Um, it can be very hard to grow in the ways that you want to if you're kind of sacrificing Uh, And trying to grow in your durability and resilience and, you know, living off of living on a couch or something like that, right? Which is not as comfortable, especially if you're a light sleeper. These little things, like, that's important to me. And resilience has looked like 
being creative about finances. It's looked like figuring out how I can make sure my financial situation is secure. It's looking like uh, making sure I have a goal for the future that I'm working towards, right? So resilience for me has been taking a look and just talk mostly about social, economic, and kind of home life, but looking at every aspect of your life and being very intentional about it and making sure you're doing what you can to have your needs met. And that's uh, really hard to do, but it, when one of these things comes up at a deficit, so like when I when I was, my social life was in a big transition, well, I was able to lean on a space that I liked being in and lean on a goal for a future that allowed, that pulled me through. But when finances got really tight here in LA, I actually was able to lean on a social network and I was able to lean into having a space that allowed me to stay home and still like have fun, right? And and people might be getting the idea that I have like this big ass apartment or something like that. N none of these have been fancy. They just have had the things that I know I need to be healthy and uh, comfortable and things like that. So it's whatever that is for you. We all have our weird comforts and things like that. Those were so making sure I have all of those pieces of my life together have been probably my key to resilience because something will always come up at a deficit. Sometimes multiple parts of your life will be at a deficit what is going to carry you through. And I think people can do that. Spaces can do that. I think, you know, dreams and goals and plans and strategizing can do that. I think books and like kind of escapism, like video games or movies, like those things can be really helpful as well. And so, yeah, I guess the intentional life might be a resilient life, maybe is what I'm saying. That's beautiful. I do want to be mindful of time, but as we look towards wrapping up here. If someone were to tune in right now for the end of this podcast and you wanted them to know one thing, what would you tell them? Don't be afraid of change. The old phrase, the only thing constant is change is so real. And I've change has been some of the most scary and the most rewarding things that have happened to me um, out of big changes in my life. And Tension happens in change, right? Uh, so even just even the premise of this podcast and what you're talking about are big changes. And no, not all changes are good or the right changes, but um, to not be afraid of them and to be okay when the right one comes along and to have kind of the, I don't know, kind of the perspective and the ability to embrace it when it comes is really important. And it's a hard one muscle, I think. And but when you have it, it's it's incredible uh, what life could bring you. Beautifully said, Darren. So where can people find you if they want to follow the work that you're doing, if they're interested in your church work, Enneagram work, whatever it is, where can they find you? Yeah, I uh, have a website, darrenmckenna.com. Um, look in the, the show notes for my name spelling. It's weird. And uh, you can also find me on all the social medias at Darren McKenna, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And my church is New Abbey Novo, and you can follow us on Instagram as well. Um, that's kind of, that'd be a good place to figure out what we're up to. And while we're all virtual anyways, might as well drop in and check us out on Sunday. And I'll just say, having visited New Abbey before, uh, it's a very 
welcoming, beautiful community. I, I just show up and I feel like I'm part of the family and I don't even live there. So highly <laughs> recommend here. anyone in LA. <laughs> I don't go there. But no, if, if anyone's around, you should definitely check out New Abbey and the work they're doing. So Darren, thank you so much. This was so good. I've known your story, but it's always good to hear it again and get more into the nitty gritty. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate you doing this. And I'm going to add one other thing I was thinking about is I love how this is for the Enneagram nerds as uh, you kind of leaning into the tension is similar to your journey of like recognizing that maybe you're a four and not a one and kind of moving out of these binaries, right? And into this creative space. And I just, I love the idea of this podcast. And for me, I, you know, as we both know a lot of each other's journeys, I love seeing that kind of direction. And then you leaning into that and trying to help people along in that journey, right? So anyways, just fun. I was thinking about that Thank prepping you. for this. I'm like, how fitting that someone who kind of sits on that line between a one and a four, right? That can go back and forth and depending on stress or security or whatever, is able to both lean into a space like this. So it's great. It's, it's fitting. As a four, I love the hard stuff. That's why I'm going to school to be a therapist. Mm-hmm. So let's go. Let's have those hard conversations. Yeah. Let's do it. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Darren. You're awesome. This was great. And I know that anyone listening will, will appreciate this and your story. Yeah. Thank you, Gary. Oh my goodness, what a good conversation, right? It was so great talking to Darren and getting to hear more of his story. I hope you enjoyed our premiere episode and I appreciate you listening today. Seriously, you, the listener, make this show possible. Speaking of which, if you found value in and enjoyed today's episode, please consider making a small donation to help support the podcast. You can do so at anchor.fm forward slash beautiful tension, which is also listed in the show notes. Any amount makes a difference, and I appreciate the support. As we close today, I want to extend an invitation. In future episodes, we're going to do a closing segment called Resilience Room. I want to know what has helped or is helping you stay resilient during this pandemic. It could be a show, book, a gem of wisdom your mom once told you, or something else. For example, I recently caught up on HBO's new show, We're Here. It's a show about three drag queens who visit small towns and help marginalized people reclaim their voice through drag. It's fun, it's campy, and it made me cry. A lot. If a show has ever captured beautiful tension well, it's definitely that one. Let me know what's keeping you resilient by leaving a voicemail or sending a text message to 970-8-BEAUTY. Again, that's 970-8-BEAUTY. Make sure to leave your name if you'd like a personal shout out. Well, that's all I've got for today. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on Beautiful Tension.